Hey, Jason, we're back. Hey, Dave, how you doing? How exciting this week. We've got a guest. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, we I, have an interview, which we've already recorded. So it's not like I know. They're, they're waiting here to be introduced. I know. Yeah. It's, it's It was such a great conversation. It was so lovely to see Tony's face and to chat with him. I'm so excited. Uh, and there's so many gems in there. I, I can't wait for all of the listeners to, to just kind of hear the the knowledge bombs that Tony uh, yeah. is going to drop for us. And I think like that's one of the things about this podcast in conversation. It was about talking about improv and different viewpoints and philosophies. And so having these guests on that we're going to be having for the next uh, however many episodes uh, is a nice way to get new perspectives. And I think Tony Beeman brings a wonderful perspective. For those of you who don't know Tony, uh, he's from Unexpected Productions in Seattle is where he sort of got his improv starting uh, and is uh, the associate director. Artistic oh, no. Associate He'll tell you when we ask him yes. uh, in the conversation. He's an associate, artistic associate at yes. Unexpected Productions. So he directs shows there. He teaches classes there. He performs there uh, and has been doing improv for over 20 years and traveling around festivals. That's how we both met him and stuff. And he, he's very insightful. In, in the, and I think you're really going to like the conversation. I, th- I believe so too. So uh, without any further ado, let me just say one thing before we go in. Yeah. Hey, great drum solo intro there, Dave Morris. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it was so fun when I was recording that. It was so hard. It's so hard to drum. I don't, I'm not a drummer. I'm really not. Uh, I just have a drum kit. And so now I'm like, I guess I'm a drummer. Um, <laughs> challenge okay. met, I say, challenge met. So uh, without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in again this week. And here is Tony Beeman. Here we are, Jason, with our special guest, Tony Beeman. What a what an amazing face to see. Hello, Tony. It's good to see you, my friend. It's good <laughs> to see both of you. Yeah, yeah. You look great. You look like you're holding up well. We all all of our our different quarantine beards are, are coming yes. nicely. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm holding in. It's right before our election, so you know I'm not stressed at all. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> look, those ripples go far, my friend. Everyone in Australia yeah. is glued to uh, the news, Twitter, uh, everything at the moment. Just going, please God, please let that ass clown get voted out, and the transition be non-violent. Yes, both <laughs> those thing. things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty close, so let, I'll get all the collateral damage hitting me yeah. over here. So let's yeah. be careful. Yeah, you're on an island. You're probably okay. Yeah, but <laughs> islands, islands can sink, my friend. Okay. Uh, anyway, enough about politics. Uh, we've already told everyone a little bit about you, but Tony, in your own words, uh, mm-hmm. who are you? Who who are you? Who's Tony Beeman? I'm Tony Beeman. I'm uh, artistic associate at Unexpected Productions in Seattle, um, which is a theater that's been around since the early '80s. Um, I've not been there since the '80s. I started improvising and. Like early two thousands, I guess. Um, I did some in college in the nineties, but you know, not the kind you would want to invite your friends to. Um, <laughs> college improv, yeah, yeah. I was a poetry major in college, and I had this big plan to go work for Microsoft for a couple of years in computer science, and then go be a poet. And one, I liked not being poor, but also I found out, you know, in college, poetry is very collaborative. Um, and the minute I was on my own having to write in a dark apartment, I'm like, this kind of sucks. So I <laughs> rediscovered improv. I'm like, this can be artistic and collaborative, and I get to work with other people. Mm-hmm. And poetic, too, I guess. Yes, yeah. it can be. I, I sometimes get to use that. Um, yes. 
and sometimes don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, improv is a better alternative to drinking, which I hear is what some poets do when they can't write. <laughs> so I'm glad I'm glad you chose improv because that helped us meet uh, through, of course, through unexpected productions in the Seattle Improv Festival. I think it was when we first met. Uh, yeah, and all all three of us, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. I met Tony first in oh, yeah. um, in uh, Leuven in uh, Belgium uh, yes. for a festival uh, that we went over. So uh, Impro Melbourne, the company I was working with at the time, uh, uh, took a team over. Myself, Patty Styles, Rama, Nicholas, and who else was there? Sarah? No. Uh, Pro- probably there, Sarah. Probably Sarah. Sure. <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, and um, unexpected productions had a team there as well. So that was uh, Susie, Tony, Kevin, and Randy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was the first time I met Tony. Was that what was that? Two thousand six. Two thousand eight, I think. Eight. Um, and uh, yeah, it was one of my first trips overseas for improv, and uh, had the absolute pleasure of uh, of working with that team for a whole week uh in this uh, uh festival where they had bought three different teams from or, or three different companies from around the world to work with their company uh and uh it was uh it, it was a great way to set a friendship for life <laughs> yes spending a lot of time uh in in a small walled city in yeah. uh, in rural Belgium. <laughs> Man, now that you've told that story, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, well let me tell you about how Tony and I met. And I don't <laughs> actually remember which year it was when we met or what festival it was at. Was it in Seattle? It must it have been in, in Seattle. Seattle. Yeah, it was definitely in Seattle. And <laughs> I think it was 2000. It was around the same time, actually. Mm. So mm-hmm. this is what I remember about Jason and the Australians was I learned <laughs> this trick for an American improviser is... The only kind of louder travelers than Americans are Australians, <laughs> but people love their accents, so they kind of get away with it. So you can actually kind of fly under the radar as an American if you like hang out in a bar with Australians. So. Yeah, they might just think you're the Canadian guy who's traveling with them. Yeah, 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 exactly. get away with it. Um, yeah, we, we slide, we slide uh, under the under the radar a little bit. Yeah. I also, I kind of want to tell this very quick story about uh, uh, Jason and Improv Melbourne's uh, performance. Uh, because we were in Leuven, and the mayor of Leuven had come to see the show. And we were in the audience. The Australians were the only ones downstairs in the green room and didn't hear this speech about how, like, he, the mayor stands up and he's like, culture from all around the world has come here. Um, it's going to be collaborative, and we respect each other's cultures, and this and this and this and this. <laughs> and then you guys come up. And I think Raman Nicholas delivered the very first line of the show, which is, uh, if you say that again, I'm going to punch you in the fucking vagina <laughs> and the whole audience went dead except for one of our improvisers Susie who was just like ah 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 oh Susie Susie's yes. laugh that great laugh oh yeah. I love it uh, okay well we could reminisce about funny times we've all spent at improv festivals if you want uh, all night me and you uh, and Jason I'm sorry us no, that's right uh, would we? Uh, but but uh, but we do have some questions for you about improv because this is a show where we are in conversation about improv, specifically like you know philosophy, theories, and stuff like that. And I want to pick your brain about that. Uh, so I have some questions here, Jason. Do you want to do a first question, or can I go? Oh no, you go. You go first. Cool. Okay. So you grew up in uh, when grew up. You know what I mean. Improv wise, yeah. grew up in yep. the Seattle improv world uh, mm-hmm. with with. Uh, what I always consider one of my favorite improv teachers, Randy Dixon, uh, who runs Unexpected Productions. So you kind of grew up in like the the world of Randy. And when I grew up doing improv, like you know, I had some greats around me, but they've like moved on and stuff. And I've been mostly in Victoria as the 
the teacher here and I never got to experience being around a teacher. Uh, what was that like? What was that like growing up in the shadow of Randy Dixon? <laughs> in the sh- in the shadow of Randy <laughs> Dixon. Yeah. Well, um, what I'll say about Randy is that you never really feel like you're in his shadow. Um, uh, Sorry. But... In, the, in the glowing rays of Randy. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was lucky, and it took me a long time to realize this when I was new, because, you know, you take whatever you grew up with for granted that um, – you know, when Randy was getting started, he really had the opportunity to work with a lot of different teachers from different schools. Um, and in North America, anyway, I kind of, I see two pretty strong strains, which would be the the kind of Johnstonian, and I know most Canadians wouldn't call themselves Johnstonian, but uh, that kind of, like, that was a source, right? Like, Johnstone yeah. didn't learn from Spolin, or at least he says he didn't. And then the sort of Spolin line um, out of Chicago. Um, so Randy studied with both Keith Johnstone and Del Close, who, um, you know, and both those groups had like kind of come up with, they'd had to solve the same problems. And it's interesting how often they arrived at some of the same solutions, um, but also places where they really took these different approaches. Um, and so I was lucky enough that, um, like Randy and the other teachers who he'd sort of trained up or who'd come to Seattle to work with us. They're, they're not very religious about any of those styles, but they acknowledge them. They kind of offer them up as choices you can make. Um, so, for example, when we do a herald, we'll do a very unstructured herald. Like, no, it's not like that lotus structure of yeah. three stories <laughs> yeah. in three parts. We just sort of throw it up there, right? Um, but I wasn't taught like that's the way to do it. It was like, well, we got Dell at this one specific time, um, mm-hmm. and we're going to like take this approach, but also, you know, Johnstone would probably hate this, um, because what Johnstone would say about long form, like a Herald is if it's boring, it's going to be boring for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which sometimes happens, right. Or vague and confusing for an hour. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> And so then, was, and then Johnson would say something that would kind of make you go like, "What? Why did you? That's <laughs> creepy." <laughs> yes. Now your penis is running around the floor, and you need to uh-huh. smash it with a mallet. That would keep this from being boring or weird. <laughs> huh? Um. So it was very lucky to grow up with a sort of self-critical in a good way. Like, all right, we're doing it our way, but that's not the way. It's just a way. Um. And let's think about how else it could be approached. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. I was I was the same. I I, I kind of came up uh, under Patty Styles, really. Um, Patty was uh, uh, I was improvising a while before Patty arrived in Melbourne, uh, and Patty came here, and of course she's quite a force um, to to be reckoned with in terms of the improv world, and and uh, she's you know Keith's one of Keith's right hands, really. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, when she came into Impro Melbourne. Um, it was a ragtag group of, of, of players kind of just getting by and she brought a lot of structure in and uh, a lot of Keith's kind of work and philosophy um, is kind of straight down the line. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't still I started, uh, until I started traveling a whole lot that, that the other kind of world of the smaller world kind of opened up to me a little bit more. And, and, um, and Patty was never a hindrance in, in doing that. She always wanted us to go and, and, and find alternative views. She was never saying this is the one way to do it. But of course, 
because she's grounded so far in in the the Keithiverse, um, <laughs> that, that she's she, she's she's going to teach from from that point of view. Um, so when I started working with people like yourself and uh, people like Randy, it, it was uh, quite a different style and a different revelation for me, and something that I wanted to look into further as I came back here. Um, uh, to Melbourne and, and and bring that kind of style back. Now, now of course, in the last five years, there's been you know uh, young young people opening up. You know, they've done a summer school and come and open up uh, schools mm-hmm. here in uh, in Melbourne. Uh, different companies that are air quotes Chicago style mm-hmm. um, uh, improv and stuff like that. And uh, what's been exciting for me in the last kind of two years really is that people uh, people who people tend to disappear into that bubble. Same, I think, with with the key stuff here. They go into that one way, and then they reach this point where they start getting curious about other improv um, and other ways of doing things out of both kind of schools. And um, that's been really great for me at that point where people kind of blow out of that bubble uh, and there's been some really interesting sharing happening over the last couple of years where the fences have come down, people have blown out of those bubbles that they've grown up in and and uh, there's a, a larger, uh, more diverse improv community happening here in, in Melbourne mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, that are willing to kind of collaborate and experience, but there's still people who are like fences up, this is the way to do it, that's, you know, uh, 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 closing off other styles. But it's been really interesting to, you know, have come from someone who is the the right hand to, to keep um, uh, and and discover the, the wider world and the wider philosophy as, as we go. It's been a, a yeah. nice journey. I think, I think one of my favourite things about uh, newer, newer improvisers sort of starting to open up to the world of improv is when they start saying things to you like, hey, Dave, has anyone ever tried doing and then whatever and of course people have people have tried everything but they're like they're having the idea for the first time like they don't ever try yeah. to do serious improv and you gotta be like yeah <laughs> they have lots it's been around for a while like Keith Johnson originally was like you gotta have some pathos like it's normal yeah. but then uh, but I, th- I think the best answer now to that question and I'm gonna try and start doing this I don't normally do it but I'm gonna try now to say you should try it uh, instead yeah. of that patronizing yeah people have done that come on kid yeah we tried uh, that and it, yeah. tried that in 1980 <laughs> and it didn't work <laughs> yeah. back in college someone <laughs> came someone came in as a dinosaur and we never tried serious improv again. yeah uh yeah uh, and actually you know that kind of leads into my other question i had for you unless jason you want to chime in um but i have one other question that fits right here which is oh uh, yeah the, go for it go for it this this difference between uh short form and long form a lot of people talk about it the differences between different styles of improv but specifically short form long form is where for some reason we've decided to draw the line uh and you do both regularly like unexpected yep. does a theater sports show the classic theater sports style with the judges and everything and then you also do these longer form genre pieces or very like uh different new formats that are like anti-heralds uh and heralds so you do all these different things um so in your expert opinion <laughs> what's the difference between short form and long form and why do people draw the line there Oh, so it, so it's an easy question to answer. Oh, <laughs> um, time. I will say, <laughs> I, there is a fuzzy area. I, I think I was mid form too. That um, yeah, I, I, I tried to a, I tried to get that going, and I could I could never get yeah. it going. People are like yeah. mid form. <laughs> um, 
all right so i think short form has some specific like problems you have to overcome like the difficulty in committing to a character and like mm-hmm. getting the audience to wake up like or to sort of understand what's going on quick enough so you can then explore where you are so i think with that comes a bunch of shortcuts or um sort of just you know um like i think people don't invest as much in a short form scene generally right yeah. now maybe they should um and so with that it's gonna be really hard to do certain types of work but on the other hand it's great for like free fall it's great for comedy i think um and it as john stone said right if it goes bad you can like get a laugh out of it and you're done yeah. right like <laughs> yeah. your mistakes it. only horn, last give it the horn and get off stage yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. your mistakes generally only last two or three minutes so um i guess those are the biggest for me mm-hmm. um i i like to divide long form really into two completely separate things that get combined that i hate which Mm -hmm. is like the improvised play or improvised movie but you know we're doing a play so let's call the play yeah um which um like a you mean you mean like a single narrative as opposed to yeah multiple narratives like a herald type of montage thing yeah okay just clearing it up uh, for the listeners i knew what you meant (laughs) yes So, like, yeah, improvised film noir, improvised Tennessee Williams, but also just any format where we're going to tell one story where it's probably going to feel like a traditional play. Um, Although even then, some caveats, like, "Mm, it's going to be a lot shorter than a real play. (laughs) So it's probably more like a short story than a novel. But it's just one story. Um, And there are theaters that really excel at that, like Impro um, in L.A. Um, uh, So I would call that one completely separate from short form um and then i would say this organic long form um area which would be like the herald or um you know any number of formats out there like living rooms or montages or people have different names for things that are often yeah. quite the same but just a sort of organically emerging thing that may not be one story that's not going to feel to the audience like a play it's sometimes maybe the least accessible improv format but you know improvisers love it and people who've learned the language if it's good love it and i think a brand new audience can love it if you like give them the sort of if you invite them in in a way that they always they kind of feel like they know what's going on by the time they really need to um so i would actually divide those i think we do ourselves a disservice by pretending like those are the same things Mm -hmm. that that's a really interesting point you make at the end there and something i'd like to dig a little deeper into is how do you invite an audience into something that is a little more uh, obtuse, I guess, uh, for them. That's that's more common language for improvisers, but um, but the audience needs to be onboarded a little bit. Um, wh- what do you suggest? Um, is is it because the format is high concept, or is it because the um, the ideas are are kind of uh, higher uh, at a higher uh, peak? If you know what I mean. Uh, what? How do you invite the audience into that more complicated improv? I, I think it's just about letting them know what's going on, so they they don't feel like they're trying to figure out some inside joke. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think people treat it too precious. Like, oh, I just can't. Sometimes I think, why not just come out and explain what we're doing, right? Yeah. Um, like introducing our like freeform herald. We do this weird static walk, and I used to like try to you know we're gonna explore the word and unbox it after a while i'm like 
actually, if I just say, like, we're just free associating up here, you should free associate. It's going to feel weird if you haven't seen it before. You may think you've come to a, like, weird art show. And then, like, <laughs> and then we're going to really, like, go into scenes, games, and monologues. And I find, like, great. Like, it doesn't turn off the people who already know it or, like, are mm-hmm. there for an artistic show. But it helps those people who, like, start looking at each other uncomfortably, like, we thought we were here for a comedy show. Yeah, yeah, in that yeah. First I, five minutes. Yeah, I think that's the the telling people about what you're doing. I love that idea. I, I'm a huge fan of like we're just going to tell you everything we know, so that we're all on the same page, and then you'll know what's made up and what's part of the form and what's whatever. Uh, and I think yeah, I think that that also helps to that divi- division between different types of long form and different types of short form. Like because I think short form also has different types. Like there's yeah. like uh, but but. Uh, but it helps with that division if every time you go on stage, you tell them what you're doing for that night. Like yeah. Paper Street, I think it's like built into my automatic spiel now that we're aiming for theater and la la la, just so that the audience is in the right place for that show and they let go of those preconceptions. Yeah, here I can give you a very specific example in a more audience-friendly show, which is our Christmas show, An Improvised Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's one of my favorite shows we do. I play all three ghosts past present and future and they um the past is a movie genre which is usually pretty accessible to the audience present is a playwright which is often not accessible <laughs> yeah i know it's like Ooh. and future used to be like a dance style but now now we just do traditional like scary hooded ghosts but that right. playwright sometimes we'll get something like beckett and by the time we get to it the audience is going to forget and we also don't tell them what we're using the suggestions for right. it's like i need a playwright and I'm the one who does the gets and talks to the audience. And I've started just, if I get Beckett, I just up front, I'm like, when we get to the Ghost of Christmas Present, it's going to be in the style of Samuel Beckett. And then they get to feel like, they like they know what's going on. They like they might learn something. They probably won't because I'm not that good at Beckett. But, um, <laughs> but they can kind of play along. And then that gives me the freedom to go like really like pretty far. Like if I commit to it, I can make it more accessible just by letting it be like way almost a little too Beckett um, to the point <laughs> yeah, of comedy. Yeah, sure. I mean, not that Beckett isn't funny on his own, but um, uh, but they need that little handrail. They need mm-hmm. to be like, oh, this is the Samuel Beckett part. And then well, they're yeah. comfortable. And I think what you do is mm-hmm. great. I think that idea of just like telling them you're not going to get like, I know you probably don't know who Samuel Beckett is. It's going to be kind of weird, but you're going to like it. Uh, I think that's huge. Like people always ask for paper street shows. Like if I don't know who Martin McDonough is, am I going to like the show? And it's like, I mean, yeah, it's still a show. It's still a story. It's still fun. But if you know, Martin McDonough, you'll get some of the, you'll, you'll understand what we're, we're trying for, but otherwise you're just going to have a good time. But, but still like explaining to them that it's like, you're allowed to not know. And that's yep. okay. That that gives yeah. them that permission to, to enjoy it. Because I've seen my fair share of stuff that is obtuse and uh, the directors have gone, no, we'll, we'll win the audience over with this. And, and they don't do anything to position the audience uh, beforehand. And so, as you say, the audience spend the first part of the thing trying to figure it out rather than uh, putting their guard down and investing uh, in it. Um, and, uh, and But I also there's, think there's a balance both ways that you can explain for too long. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and either you've got to, uh, I always try to tell people when they're, when they're coming up with a form or trying to develop a form is what you want to do is you build your platform solid enough that you can spring off it. 
and 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 have the audience come with you. So you don't want to over construct it. You just want to kind of get it so you feel like you're ready, kind of there holding hands with the audience, saying, "All right, we're good. Let's go." Yeah. You know, and you and you and you leap kind of together. Yeah, you, um, wanna, you don't want to get into that point where you're like, "So we're gonna be telling the story." Now, a story has a beginning, yeah. middle, and end. And in the beginning, what you're trying to do is establish the you're like, "Stop it!" <laughs> like, yeah, know, just, we get yeah, it. I- if I have a question that keeps an improv question that keeps me up at night, it's related to this. It's mm-hmm. what is too much ambiguity and what's like not enough. And Ooh, it's a good one, man. I don't know. That's, yeah. that's the, that's the eternal struggle. I think, yeah, I, I, I think, I think too much, I'd rather give people too much information than not enough information at the beginning of the show, but I don't want to ever give them too much information. <laughs> Right, because <laughs> so, too much information is like, ugh, we get it. Just do the yeah. show, yeah. But that is uh, that is the struggle. Like, what do you try and do? What's your what's your uh, what's your technique? I mean, how do you how do you balance it? I think it's it so much depends on your audience, what they already know. I do think I look at I have this ongoing question because like so many shows that audiences don't like are way too much ambiguity, where all the performers are like, this is artistic, so I don't have yeah. to like define anything or. Um, and it's not really artistic. It's like improvisers afraid to define. Mm-hmm. But on yeah. the other hand, I'm constantly in scenes where, you know, like we're in a scene and we already know that your wife died years ago and you're talking about wanting to adopt a dog and like you're you're kind of nervous. And I don't need to come out and say like, oh, like because the way your wife, you know, died <laughs> 10 <laughs> years ago. But improvisers do that all the time, right? Yeah. Like, like I'm like, ah, so um so it's like but and i think it comes down to like you need to define some like the audience needs something to hang on to it's like rock mm-hmm. climbers you need like two or three points of contact and then you can keep the last one free yeah yeah i always like but that I get, uh i always like that phrase of giving the audience two plus two uh so that they go four in their heads oh, right? yeah. instead of going out and being like the answer is four just give them the two <laughs> plus two but in that metaphor like you need to give them two like you need to give them two yep. and two like you can't just give them numbers and they and go, you have the yeah you have to have an improvisers <laughs> yeah. who are not going to walk out on stage and just yell for <laughs> yeah <laughs> where well, i do uh, two well, plus two yeah. and then you come out and be like it's four i get it it's four <laughs> like, everyone we all do, got let's, it let's yell four for five minutes yeah david I think, lynch david lynch says this great i love lynch because yep. um because of what i'm about to say which is he <laughs> says uh the audience wants there there needs to be a mystery he's like life keeps giving you just enough information that you're you're just convinced there is an answer right it's not just random stuff you're like there's almost an answer and if i could just figure out it's there um but it's so if you're just giving them random stuff and the audience figures that out Mm -hmm. you're just scared they tune out but if there's just enough for them like i think there's an answer here i just don't know what it is i think you found that right balance yeah, it's that thing like where as an improviser, you should always look like you know what you're doing on stage. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to know what you're doing or anything, but from an outside perspective, it needs to look like, oh, he knows where he's going. I wonder. Uh, so that I want to go with you. And that's that's the another part of one of those distinctions. Yeah. The training that I've been doing recently that's kind of helped this a little in the improvisers I've been working with is having them listen for subtext rather than that what, what the text is and have them respond to what their interpretation of the the subtext is, so uh, playing the scene and but also playing that that deeper level of the scene, um, and so you know if they get a sense of that insecurity, then they can lean into that 
via the dialogue, but not be yelling, you know, for the whole time. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're looking for those other numbers um, to, to kind of add up if we keep that metaphor rolling. Um, and uh, and it's, been, it's, been, it's been really nice. Sometimes it, it doesn't work at all. Sometimes they're listening so hard for the subtext that they miss the obvious offer in the text. There's a car. But, um, We're in a car. Okay. Yeah. Did you not see the car? <laughs> but yeah. it's been a really interesting exercise to uh, to do is to be focusing on that. Uh, and uh, I found that it's opened up a lot of uh, a lot of the improvisers that I've been working with um, just in the way that they listen. Yeah. Um, who who and, is it that said um, the phrase listen, interpret, feel, react? Is that like a Joe Billism or somebody? Because it's it's a it's four words that I've heard that kind of some like that I use to think about what you're thinking about like listen to what the person said, interpret mm-hmm. what it actually means like the subtext yeah. of it, feel something inspired by that, and then react from that feeling. And that's that sort of like same idea of like listening for the subtext. But who's who? Do you know who said those four words? Listen, interpret, feel, react. It might have been Mark Sutton. It's one of those guys, one of those <laughs> Chicago guys. Yeah, probably some, wrote a book about it or something. I can't remember. Some man in a boat fishing. Yeah, some guy. <laughs> some guy who leans back when he teaches. You know. Um, <laughs> there's uh, I th- the trick I think you ran into is Western improvisers especially hear that and they go in their head and like, okay, I need to intellectually do that. Um, I love the inner game of tennis. Have either of you read the book? No, it's no. it's it's I think my favorite improv book. Um, my friend Liz Bramer introduced me. It's literally about coaching tennis, but its whole premise it's is not, it's not actually about improv. It's though. not okay because you said improv not. book, and I was like, what? Okay. I'm calling it an improv book. <laughs> I, um, that's cool. We can do that. Yeah, I'm down. Its whole premise is um, in Western culture, like people learning to tennis, they think the brain's in charge of the body, but like the body already knows what to do. Like when you catch a ball, like you're muscles in your arm do an amazing amount of like positioning in 3d space to, like tracking the trajectory your body knows how to do that so he's like the brain the bo- brain should observe but the body needs to you just need to trust the body to do what it's going to do mm-hmm. and i've like i apply that to improv in terms of like emotion like feelings and emotions are like that too western improvisers want the brain to be in charge of that like i need to know what i'm feeling so mm-hmm. i can express it on stage instead of like trusting that's yourself the in- yeah it's the feel step, right? I think we want to skip over it or put the brain in the middle of it. Um, yeah. And Juna Mai out of Japan has a great exercise where you just make people do scenes where they're like, I feel blank. That makes me feel blank. That makes yep. me feel blank. Mm-hmm. And if you make two improvisers go along long enough, they'll like, they'll get stuck. They'll get bored and they'll say like, I feel bored. And that makes me feel angry. And like, eventually they'll break into that. Um, but it takes yeah. a lot of work. Well, that's like yeah. that great game where you, instead of saying a sentence, you describe what the sentence would have been if you'd said it. So you say like, you say, instead of saying hello, you'd say a greeting, right? And like you just yeah, describe correct. the sentence so that it's all just like what the purpose of the sentence was, not what the words are. Because the words don't matter. It's what they mean, of course. Yeah. 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 Mm, cool. Uh, I have another question for Tony. Tony, you often do... Uh, uh, kind of sharpened genre pieces. I'm thinking of uh, Bradbury uh, and and uh, mm-hmm. but sometimes with a little bit of a twist on them as well. Um, I, I just wanted to to you know kind of talk to to that kind of stuff. How do you approach doing a season of uh, 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 both directing and improvising uh, uh, of of a kind of sharpened pointed genre season? Be it uh, an author like Bradbury that that maybe the audience wouldn't 
specifically know um, uh, that well, or it may indeed bring people in who are fans of of, of Bradbury or, or or a certain playwright or cinema style. Um, but you you often do those things. Um, how how do you approach a season of that? What's your process in terms of uh, thinking through the idea, gathering a cast, and, and working with them? Um, yeah, we because we've talked about it. We talked about it on episode two, so the audience knows what we think. What do you? How do you approach genre? What's the deal? Um, I've evolved. Um, although I started in one place. When I watched a lot of improv when I was new, there was a lot of what I call parody, um, which is just sort of this extrinsic understanding of the format. Yep. So a good example, I would say, is the new Star Trek movies, like it, the watch his face who directed them, the lens flare. Can't think of uh, his name. Yeah, uh, Abrams. J.J.? Yeah. Yes, yes, J.J. Abrams. Um, uh, it's a parody, right? It's like Kirk is always breaking the rules. Spock is like always having feelings and McCoy's just always angry it's like no like intrinsically if you watch the show they're actually really competent almost all the time and then it's kind of like unique when they when they break their own rules and have this moment now that'd be an intrinsic understanding so my first step is like I need my performers to really get to an intrinsic understanding so they're like filling in all the mortar not just the bricks yeah um otherwise you get film noir where like everyone's a femme fatale or a detective. Everyone's or a monologuing to the camera yeah. and smoking cigarettes <laughs> yeah. the whole time. And yeah. Um, and a different way maybe to put that is instead of saying, what if an improviser did Ray Bradbury? It's like, what would have Ray Bradbury done if he were an improviser? Right. Like, and I think of it almost like a heads up display in a scene where like, um, like Terminator. So like, what's the interesting <laughs> offer? Like, if we're doing a scene and it's Tony and you say something about Tolkien, I'm going to be like, yeah, that I want to talk about hobbits, right? Like that's Tony. If you're doing Tony style, you're going to like mm-hmm. find some nerdy fantasy reference. and want to talk about that. If I'm doing Bradbury, my heads up display is going to point out like nostalgia mm-hmm. or censorship or like um, a conflict of like freedom of information. Mm-hmm. Like, so I want to get people into that and I don't want them to be in their heads about it. I want them to do it enough that they just kind of, it's like a mask, right? They're wearing their Ray Bradbury mask and they kind of, without having to think about it, know what's interesting to them yep. in that moment. Mm, that's uh, nice. Yeah. I, I, I like to think of it like I have Bradbury's in my head and he's going like, mm, this is what I would do. I'm like, this oh, is okay. what I want. I'll do that. Oh, I, yeah. A childhood, like, uh, I'm so excited about this thing you mentioned from my childhood, right? Yeah. I just want to like be happy about that. Yeah. Um, so um, that, and then if I have time, I will try to break down some archetypal characters and some mantras and i've taken more of this from joe mcginley at um impro who i think is one of the best style people out there mm-hmm. um and um it's really it's sort of like if you've if you've done acting like meisner it's like tactics and objective and like am i getting what i want but i think it has to become be simpler in improv um and it's just like what's my what's the thing my character would say about myself that would like get me to the way that character acts. So, you know, we've done that with villains, right? If I'm a Bradbury villain from an outsider point of view, it's like, I like censorship. I hate books. Right. It's like, well, the mantra is like for a society to function, um, people can't be in chaos. Right. Or like, what's the sympathetic way to approach that? And so for every character, 
most authors and styles have a pretty a few sets of characters who tend to show up a lot and I figure out what does that character say about themselves and I instruct if you're playing that role just like say that to yourself be like am I getting that in this scene from the person I'm in the scene with or am yeah. I not um, and the final thing is okay now I know what I want and what I don't want it's like then what are the rules so if I'm doing Austin right like Jane Austen, the rules of how I get what I want are really complicated, right? Like I can't even talk to you if we haven't been introduced, if I'm a woman. So yeah. I need to go get my friend to like introduce us. Um, and the stakes are so high, even though like over this introduction, because everything I want is based on that. Um, so it's like the combination of what people want, what they don't want, and the rules they have to follow to get that in that style get you a lot of the way there, I think. Cool. fantastic thank you and do you find um uh sorry if i'm gonna keep kicking at this do you find that people still get in their head sometimes because uh, like i find it when i teach style stuff as hard as i try and i uh, like how do you get them and how do you get them out of their heads when they're stuck there like because it's hard to coach someone from the outside out of their head because it just sort of puts them more in their head when you're coaching them like do you have any tactics for dealing with that um other than time and experience. Um, <laughs> time. Time seems to be the answer to so many questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's, um, man, both of you are parents, so I'm completely talking out of my ass here. But I, to some degree, it seems like what it must be like parenting a kid, where at some point you have to step way back and you have to convince them you've stepped way back and that they're making their own choices. Mm. Um, because usually if my performance in their head, they're still trying to please me or like, they're like asking what Tony would want. They're trying to get it right. And after a while, I have to be like, now don't worry about any of the stuff. Like the show's yours, not mine. Like you're off to college. Um, good <laughs> luck. I hope you don't die. Um, you know, you get are you sure you're not a parent? Because I think you just nailed the experience. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. How do you get them to not please you? You just have to. Do you have to convince just, them that you've stepped back, not just step it, back. Like it has to. I mean, yeah. Isn't isn't this this thing about imp- being an improviser is like I love this thing I'm doing so much, but I'm so ready to let it go mm-hmm. um, in favor of something else. Um, and it's like getting them to be like, I love this style, but also I don't. I can let it go in a minute mm-hmm. and jump onto something else rather yeah. than I'm worried about getting it right. It's, yeah, I try to tell people if it went into improvise well. Uh, yeah. Like if you're if you're not sure like what the style is or what, just do a good improv scene and it'll be yeah fine. find the moment play the moment <laughs> yeah play the moment and if it leaves the yeah. style whatever but but even then I feel like people have that still have that like what does Dave want from me I guess here's my my question would be like when did you start getting out of your head because for me it was just when I realized I can improvise myself out of most holes mm-hmm. so I don't have to worry about holes. If that makes sense. I remember yeah. the exact moment when I got out of my head. <laughs> I, I do. I remember the exact. Mo- I was in the Vancouver Little Theater in Vancouver. Alistair Cook was running Instant Theater out of there. It was just like a few of us. This was when Instant Theater is like this ragtag group of like five guys in a little theater. And uh, I had just graduated from high school, so I'd just come out of doing something called the Canadian Improv Games, which is a Canadian improv tournament for high school students, which has a big, uh, a lot of sort of structure and stuff to it and there's rules and judges and it's like if theater sports was taken seriously you know yeah. like that's what it's like uh with like olympic events and it's character and story whatever so i'm doing this and so in my head there's still like a right and a wrong in everything in improv 
at that age, uh, especially as a teenager. But I was my first time like working with a real company in a big theater. And we'd just done a Herald, or it was like maybe my third or fourth Herald. And after the scene, Alistair gave me a note. It was my, the note he pointed at me, and he was just like, Dave, there is no one in the audience judging you on how well you are using the suggestion. Because uh, up until then, anytime I'd improvised, there had been someone in the audience judging me on how well I was using and proving the suggestion to them. Uh, and that line right then was the one that made me go, oh, shit, I can just do whatever I want. Uh, and like... And it sort of freed my mind to that, like, there is no wrong or right, and I don't have to be in here worrying about rules. That was yeah, my exact, that's the exact moment for me. There it is. Nice. For Jason? me, I don't remember the exact moment. Oh, but come I, on. I, <laughs> I feel like it has to do with the, 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 the time in which I became comfortable enough to hold the stage without having to say anything. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, mm. I, could, I could be in character... Uh, and 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 stay in character and hold the stage for twenty or thirty seconds by just acting with my body and staying in the scenario and 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 then there was no 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 panic there was there was nothing there from from the inside and so and in fact that would invite the audience in a little bit more to to the world that we were creating and stuff like that so for me it was it was that moment where I realised I don't have to do as much. As I think I had to do all all the time, kind of kind of growing up as an improviser, to to keep people engaged, realizing that people are engaged, um, regardless of whether I'm talking a million miles a minute or not. You know that yeah, I that think you, thing of I can take it, I can take my foot off the accelerator verbally, stay in character, stay in the context of the scene, and and keep and people will will stay invested, and if not, get invested more. Yeah, I think I think the referencing the panic is huge too. Just that that moment when you realized you didn't have to like there was why am I panicking? There's no need yeah. to do that. I don't have to do right. something right now. And that was yeah, a, yeah similar like oh, I don't need to worry about how well I'm showing the audience how clever I am. I can just I'm just gonna listen. I'm gonna play. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be in the moment. And it was yeah. like that freeing thing. I think yeah, it seems like everyone's answer is about like getting rid of anxiety. Yeah, and that, and or the idea that there are right answers, right? Because yeah. man, the audience doesn't care about almost any of the stuff no. we're worried <laughs> no. about, right? No one's sitting there being like, "Well, the suggestion was spatula, and he's cooking." I mean, I guess that kind of is about a spatula. All right, like nobody's thinking that. If they are, you're doing a really shitty scene. Like that's yes. like the, it must be so bad that they're busy going. I don't know hmm. if this uses the suggestion very well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're like, uh, do I know what's going on? I'm having a good time. Am I gonna like hook up with my date? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, is, <laughs> can I get another beer from the bar? Yeah. When is this <laughs> gonna be over? Because we got to meet some friends after. They got their own yeah. lives going on. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, uh, another question, as we kind of round the turn, I guess, to the end of this conversation, is um, where? What do you aspire to? Uh, now tony like i mean obviously 2010 he has thrown us surviving uh, so yeah. yes yeah one surviving two maybe playing again at some point in front of an audience um uh has up been uh doing live shows with audiences in the space there or has has that been functioning in pandemic and then the question of what are you you know maybe back in a more covid safe normal right. kind of world looking to explore with with improv I um 
I'll answer 2020 first. Yep. UP's kind of just doing what it takes to get by. Seattle's more locked down than almost anybody, so mm-hmm. we can't do shows in our theater. Um, we're doing Zoom shows, but um, I mean, I don't, I don't really enjoy Zoom shows, watching them or being in them. To be honest, like, um, and I'm trying to let go of that. Um, I, I do them when I'm in it. Let me step back. I enjoy <laughs> the moments, but I don't seek it out. Um, yep. So when I'm in it. It feels good. And I'm getting better at like getting past because for a long time it was just grief about the loss of assembly. Yeah. Um, and I would feel that every time. And I started to notice our students actually have a better time because they kind of either don't know what they're missing or they're not experiencing grief about having loss. Like, yes. <laughs> like stage time with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also um, like I'm directing in January a storytelling show with some improvised storytelling. But because scenes are the thing i really don't love over zoom but i love hearing people tell stories um and improvising stories so i'm going to do kind of a mix of improvised and real stories um just because i think it's what i enjoy watching so hopefully i'll enjoy directing it yeah um and then beyond that um i really in terms of styles we did an edward albee show um like two years ago i directed that Mm -hmm. um called four it actually wasn't we didn't even advertise as Edward Albee. We said four hearts. It's about relationships. Um, and we really did that whole mantra thing I talk about, but in relationships, I loved it. Um, I really want to do more four person um, relationship play type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's my favorite thing to do. It's my favorite thing to watch. And I feel like there's all the things I'm not great at directing, um, like things with really technical elements that to me just get in the way. Um but man, scenes with three to four people—I mean, shows with three to four people—I love. So, what I'd is it get... that that it speaks to you about the, the three to four people? The stakes, or the uh, what is it that uh, both as an improviser and a, and a director? I think it's—I um, mean, if if I have the right cast and I have a lot of great people in Seattle to work with, it's mm-hmm. um, it's usually the four people. It means not too many ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and it means we're going to have enough time in an hour long show to really track um, relationships between people and yep. let them evolve. Um, and it's easier. I've been reading a lot of short stories because of the thing I said about, I think everyone's trying to do novels on stage and you just don't have time to do that in an hour yeah. of improv. Um, and yeah, in short stories, paper street does an hour and a half for that reason. So we can do full, yeah. <laughs> full plays. <laughs> anyway, continue, yeah. continue. But even then, like Shakespeare's takes a lot longer and it's scripted. So, information, you know, you're not going to, even in two hours, you're going to get about as much information out as in a one hour play. So, I've been reading lots of short stories and been like, what do they do to make it work? And it's like smaller number of characters, exploring the moments a little more. Um, and it, what surprised me about doing Albie was how much the audience laughed the whole time. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was just people being brutally honest to each other, like in <laughs> Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, like, yep. which is kind of a funny, it, you kind of want to laugh when you watch it. So, yeah, great. That's so funny. I want to explore my, more of that. This is, this is the reason I wanted you to be one of our, our first guests, because in my head, when you were answering that question, I was thinking to myself, it's obviously relationships, like the reason you like four players. <laughs> and then, of course, you're like, you have time to build the relationship. Like, I knew it. I knew it because I know you. And that's why I love working with you, because uh, that is the beauty of it. That, that, mm-hmm. that when, when there's only four people and no gimmicks, you're like, all right, well, I guess we got to like or hate each other. We got something something mm-hmm. between yeah. each other, because that's all there is, is this like square that we're filling in. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That's lovely. Cool. Well, I think I think we're coming up on the end here. Uh, so anything else you'd like to, to ask us or anything else you'd like to say about improv? Do you have any big statements about improv that you've been <laughs> hoping to make and now you have this platform to make it? You want to lecture people on how they shouldn't use props on stage? What is it that you... Is there anything else you'd want to say or ask us before we, uh, before we say goodbye? Um, well, as a 40-something-year-old white man, it's probably not the time for me to try to say anything <laughs> big about the problem. No, you finally have a platform. Say something. <laughs> I'm, finally yeah. ever, um, I'm fascinated at what giving different people voices will do. Um, yeah. And, like, and really trying hard to let go of my preconceptions about what works and what doesn't. And the way we talked about not being like, we did that 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um so um, I'm excited about that when stuff comes back online. My yeah. country's in a terrifying place, so I'm trying to be like, well, we're rolling a lot of dice, so something's going to emerge, and I have no idea what. Um, yeah. So, so well, I'm can- going to be positive about that. Canada, like Victoria especially, is very close to you. So if you're yes. ever like, <laughs> I need an out, I have a spare bedroom. You can come stay here for as long as you need to. <laughs> we'll do your customs uh, have only taken me aside once and put me in a dark room so. yeah but it's canadian customs they're pretty nice yeah yeah they're like sorry sorry we had to do this but, uh, they were like that actually yeah. <laughs> i really hope we didn't inconvenience you too much uh here's a lollipop okay <laughs> cool um i do have one question um which hopefully doesn't distract us from getting to our ending, which is um, I've been ruminating about something Jason said earlier about having Chicago improv come to um, Australia. Yeah. I'm happy to hear that's positive. It worries me in a way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because what I love is I talked about like having learned these different schools, but learn them as distinct solutions to the same problems that I can go between these. And I worry about is getting muddy, like everything being muddied into this like kind of one way of doing things. I worry about that too. Yeah, and we've we've yeah we've kind of talked about this idea of like what we hope improvisers do with like small boutique improv companies that like do a very different own unique style, mm. uh, and that's what I hope for too. I hope that like like there's this quote in the Tao Te Ching about from the one comes the two, and from the two comes three, and from three comes ten thousand things. Like yeah. as soon as you start naming things, you now end up with more and more names of things, and then you have ten thousand things. I'm I'm looking forward to the ten thousand things when there's like. Like every city has like their own unique style of improv that they just do, and then they do it different than they do, and like all that, uh, and then then we can get back to like it's all improv, and it depends yeah. on what you want to do with it, and that's that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, yeah, I hope mm-hmm. to keep seeing you know like Winnipeg where improv kind of develops on its own, or yeah. or like our friend Felipe from Colombia, like who like really brings a lot of like clown training and yeah. stuff to improv. These like unique. I want to keep seeing improv get seated by that stuff. Yeah, like yep. when you hear about those stories of like math geniuses that found like an old textbook and then like invented new math. Yeah, it's like yes. that's what we need for improv. We need someone who like once saw a show like four years ago and then they're trying to do it and, and like they come up with their own new approach. Yeah, yeah, that would be wonderful. <laughs> like, cool. yeah, and I feel like that—that's what I mean by people blowing out the other end of of, of those companies. Is is that's the moment where they start opening up to those ideas and going, mm-hmm. I'd really love to explore that. And they're, they're the moments where 
I often go, yeah, let's play, let's let's do this, and so start working with those people for the first time. Uh, last thing, Tony, do you have any like do you have like one line that you say all the time when you're teaching, like one quote about improv or something you always use that's like your go-to, like like listen to each other. Like, is there something you say? Is there a Tonyism that we can end um, the show it's- with? It's one I adopted from, I believe, Randy. I don't know if he adopted it from someone, which is literally just reminding people that we're just doing a make em ups and not to take it so seriously in yeah. the end. It's, nice. So I we're just, remind we're myself. Just, uh, we're just doing some make em ups. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and Vonnegut's whole, like, if this isn't nice, like, when, thing, when I'm enjoying myself to remind myself that this isn't nice, I don't know what is. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's nice. Great. Thank you so much, Tony Beeman. Thank you, yes. Tony. Thanks for Thank joining. You. Lovely and is to there see anywhere you, my friend. People can find you online. Like, uh, do you have a Twitter handle or a, a Facebook something you want to tell I'm people about? I'm at Tiny Beeman on Twitter and Instagram. I don't really have a public Facebook page, um, but my website's tinybeeman.com. Uh, I do teach improv workshops, so those mm-hmm. are listed there. Great. Yeah, and you're a, an incredible improviser. I vouch for this guy. Yes, I, I vouch too. A wonderful f- photographer as well. I Ooh, have yeah. to say. Well, thank you. So, well, I miss performing on stage with you guys. It's nice to at least see your faces here, even if our listeners can't. Yes. Uh, again, the whole reason this podcast was started was uh, I was we were coming over. I was going to see you guys uh, wow. and uh, didn't happen. So it is so lovely to catch up in this forum and at least see your faces and have a yeah. conversation. And do that thing we do at improv festivals where we stay up late talking about improv. Oh, yeah, it's yes. great. Okay, well, thank you so much, Tony. And uh, thank you, listeners. We'll be back next week with another interview. Ooh, who's it going to be? Don't tell anybody. It's a secret. It's going to be good. <laughs>